nobody becomes a billionaire by being honest. My name is Matthew Kroll. Of course I have money, not just at this particular moment. My name is Alex. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film A Tetris. And everybody listening, you the voice you just heard is not, in fact, our native New Zealander, Shahir. He could not make it today. I hear he is forever trapped in a series of blocks and cannot find a line to escape. But saving me uh, in this in this Tetris-filled film uh, is Alex Lowspec Gamer. How are you, buddy? Extremely excited to be here because I have rewatched this movie over and over since it came out, and I'm, I've just been itching to talk about it. So you and I, uh, I, I would say, uh, for, for those not familiar, Alex does a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, YouTube and Nebula channel uh, called Low Spec Gamer, and uh, I, maybe you should tell the story a little bit, because I want, basically, when this, when this trailer dropped, I think both of us <laughs> messaged each other at the exact same time, because we realized, A, it fits into our interests, but, but B... It's like it is precisely your wheelhouse. Can you explain what your what, like your channel and sort of your, maybe even your pivot and into sort of like why this is so perfect for us to be discussing today? So at the moment, since a year and a half more or less, uh, I make videos, narrative videos, exploring stories from video games and technology, especially during the seventies, eighties, and nineties, with like an animated comic book aesthetic. And we give th- we give the stories a lot of like movie like treatment. We pick characters. There's arcs. There's we we think about these things a lot during the scripts. Yeah. Um. So of course, uh. That I just described basically what this movie is <laughs> yes. in certain ways. So when when the trailer uh, popped out in YouTube, it, it was you. It was like all my colleagues. It was all my teammates in the YouTube. Everyone was just throwing messages at me, being like, "Did did 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 they make this movie for you?" And it's very interesting because like watching the movie, I'm like surprised. It's such a niche thing that I'm surprised it exists. Because it seems to have been made specifically to appeal to me and no one else. And that is the thing that shocks me. Like, I, there's there's an entire genre of what I call, like, tech video game biopics. Mm-hmm. Of which, like, some of my favorite movies of all time I count there. And this just, like, fits right in there. It's, it's, um, it's a wonder that this exists. Yeah, well, it, the, the cool thing is, that, and, and I, I think we're going to get to how this um at least uh, our our uh educated guesses of how this came to to be because it is super niche but it's like almost the perfect like middle ground of not only just your interests or my interests or, or our colleagues interests which that just feels like it's like absolutely perfect i uh i'll back up jamie uh my partner last night asked if uh if i liked it and i was and i'll get to my thoughts in a moment but then I, uh, I basically was like, I also think that you. But regardless, I think you would like it. And she's not interested in in this like topic at all. Um, and uh, because I think they take, they 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 take a the, the best types of these films is when they take a very human story that is tied to both a either piece of technology or in this case software. Um, well, kind of technology too, a little bit as we get into it, but then, uh, yeah. yeah, into, um, sort of cultural touch points of, of like real big moments in history and you kind of see how things can connect and you tie that with a personal story and it all comes together. So you don't have to like even everyone on the planet, I would argue most people, 90%, let's go with of, of adults have heard the name Tetris and have probably seen it or played it. So you're already going in with a real big audience of at least understanding, oh, Tetris is that video game with the blocks. And the other side of that coin, I think, for folks that aren't in our particular wheelhouses, Alex, is like you think of that video game and that thing like, oh, cool, yeah, whatever. But people that aren't in this sort of uh, the deep dives that we do, uh, they don't think about the human interaction a lot behind it. And the politics and the corporateness and like all that stuff and it's so fascinating. Your channel explores it like weekly at this point, and uh, and so I don't know. I was super pumped to get you on here uh, to to chat about this movie because, I, well, for, first of all, too, uh, I wasn't. I have to get over this. Whenever I see a movie that drops on Apple, I'm like, okay. But Apple makes really good television and film, and for some reason, I treat it like with kid gloves when it comes to streaming stuff. Do you ever have that? Do you ever see something come out on on any of the services and be like, that looks great. Oh, well, huh, it's there, huh? (laughs) Like... 
it, it it constantly happens that it releases in some service that you are not subscribed to or like super use daily and you're like why is it there and then you like get the service try a couple of things and you're like huh they're actually like <laughs> they have a they have like a proper development process here because they actually make good things yeah absolutely and it's very 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 weird that it ended up in apple because this is a movie and a script and a story that i don't know if you're familiar with but it has been circulating around for yep. years trying to get someone to like actually do the script um so how that all that going around ended up with apple green leading it i have no idea but I'm glad they did. Yeah, well, it's funny. The I, when this was, I feel like this has had like swells of interest in the script, like up and down, up and down over the course of the years. And I remember during one particularly, um, uh, do you know the comic Penny Arcade? The, the PAX guys. Mm-hmm. So they did one about like what Tetris the movie would look like and like they were talking about the script or whatever and then like all it was was like blocks actually falling from the sky like comets on fire at the end. Like and we was like, ha ha ha, Tetris the movie, that'll never work. And then here we are in the year of someone's Lord 2023 <laughs> and uh, it has been made. Also, uh, I think it's funny. I'm more excited about the streaming movies on Apple at this point. Like, also, uh, this is a completely different genre, but that Chris Evans, Ana de Armas film, Ghosted. Have you seen the trailer for that? I haven't seen it. It seems super just fun and, like, a good action movie. And I was like, where is this coming Mm -hmm. from? And again, my gut is, but, like, it's probably going to be pretty good. I don't know. We'll see. I saw this movie yesterday. And I want you to know, Alex, my headspace, uh, not going into it, but my my cinematic day. Okay. I started with Tetris, and I ended with John Wick 4. And I feel like... Okay. <laughs> I feel like I've seen the breath of human emotion. <laughs> no. <laughs> I feel like I've seen the breath of... Um, Tension, let's say, uh, yeah. across across cinema, at least in, in, in this particular time. Uh, but I was happy to start my day with this. Um, we normally read the uh, the IMDb description mm-hmm. of what the film is before we dive in. Okay. So IMDb says the film Tetris is as follows. The story of how one of the world's most popular video games found its way to players around the globe. Businessman Hank Rogers and Tetris inventor Alexei Paginov join forces in the USSR, risking it all to bring Tetris to the masses. That is That is a very good short summary of it yeah now i would posit that of everyone i know both personally and on the internet you are probably uh my go-to person for knowledge of this particular type that this film is based on how much of this story did you know before you went in because i i'd only heard like whispers i knew like five to ten percent of this story so uh the the answer is plenty. <laughs> and this is a this is a topic that I had considered for for a video a long time mm-hmm. because it it slits very nicely in between the story of the Game Boy and before the Game Boy Pocket. It's like a um, it's something that has been bouncing in my head since I made the original Game Boy video. Um, but I I had been actively avoiding it because after researching there were like several problems. One if, is that it has been covered by a lot of places, and mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, most places have done it from like a documentary perspective. Maybe something narrative will be more interesting, which is like probably what this movie also goes to cover. But the second, and it, and this was sort of my headspace going into the movie, is that it's a story that is very complex to tell for a general audience, and yeah. it, and this is a process that I go through with every video that there's a threshold when there's too many characters, when they're, they, the chain of events of how A led to B is too complex for like an, a cinema-watching audience or a YouTube-watching audience to accurately track. Uh, there's too many names, too many characters. Like, the, there's too much background that needs to be done. Like, the story had issues, not not it had challenges. The story yeah. had challenges in order to be adapted to video form that, at the moment, I didn't have the time to sit down and like figure out how to solve so going into the movie i was very interested in seeing how they solved those challenges that i had identified and a lot of my notes are that like things that were happening in the movie that i'm like i know exactly what they're trying to solve when doing this or that change um so that was very very interesting but i was i was familiar with the story going in okay yeah no so it's funny the when you bring up the the technical, not even technical, the narrative challenges of telling a story like this, which is basically the story of like 
I don't know, 10 to 15 people across, like, yeah, like 19 different contracts being fought across government regulations from the U.S., the USSR, and Japan, kind of. And then yep. also, how how do you how do you have an audience parse all that information and still make it enjoyable? And actually, uh, in this particular film, I thought the choice that they made, and I'd be curious to see if, if you thought this was the same or if there was another thing that maybe I didn't catch. They made every group and or, like every head of the companies or whatever felt a little more caricature-ish in a good way than than like a human being would. And at first I was like, well, that's an odd choice. But then I was like, no, you need this like tether. You need this thing where like um, the, the the folks at Mirasoft are like parodies and like, you know, like you, you, you latch on to the specific type of like archetypal character that each thing is. Otherwise, I don't know if I'd be able to maneuver quickly enough to keep caring and like, did you notice that or is, was there something else? Yes, absolutely. I, especially because, okay, so, and, and this is why I was so excited to talk about this movie. When, when I do, when I do videos and I have the discussion with my artist, we do a round of character designs. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I can say publicly, a, a lot of it. I learned by having conversations with uh, animators at mm -hmm. extra credits and, and like, <laughs> like talking to them and being like, okay, so how do you solve these problems? They're real and then good. we adopted some of those techniques. Yes. In the sense of we do a round of character designs where we figure out how to put every character in a, in a different like costume or pattern or put a pin on them or put something characteristic so the audience can track who is who as the narrative goes on. Um, this clearly also happened here because, like, as the movie was going on, I was like, Maxwell, the, the big Maxwell guy, he's big, he's always uh, uh, dressed in very specific blue. Then uh, the Otto, the guy that is always good, the, the guy who started the whole contract, he's like a tiny man and he talks in this way and he's always dressed in, yeah. like, beige. Like, even, even the colors they were dressed at were picked very carefully so, like, they will stick in your head and you will be able to track going scene from a scene, like, oh, this is the guy that did this, did this, and that. That, to me, especially the over-the-top cartoonishly billion performances, I, I, I think they nailed it. I think that was the way to go. I'm very happy that they did that. They scene i would just like make that comment that the, the scene when otto goes to the office and he's like you son of a bitch they took my rights because of this and he and and they like start fighting while the big maxwell is just re ignoring it and reading the contract it's just beautiful i yeah. love that it, it, it like encapsulates the caricaturesque aspect of each one of these villains in such a way uh that in order for that story to work that was the only way to go even like the the fictitious bad guy like the the kgb agent guy sure he was such a typical like bond like villain um i i don't think you they could have played it any other way in order for this movie to be parsable <laughs> yeah so so uh i i'm gathering that you very much enjoyed this film overall mm -hmm. um as did mm -hmm. i uh i i thought I wasn't expecting to latch on to this story as much as I did. Like, the, the, the topic interested me. But again, going in, I was like, this feels like it's a lot of contractual, uh, uh, you know, basically back and forth. And then possibly um, the, the USSR, gonna just USSR all over it. Uh, it felt really emotionally tethered very cleanly. And I do think that is due to our boy here, uh, Taron Egerton. And I don't know if this man, if uh, Hank was this guy or not, but the way it's portrayed in this movie is just the most like, aw shucks, honest businessman that does really like video games and truly believes that like Tetris, not only is Tetris amazing, it will make all of the money. And in this film, at least, uh, he is the type of man who is like, no, 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 no. Like, the creator needs to be compensated. He doesn't understand the USSR. He doesn't understand that the world is just designed to fuck people over like that. And uh, I, I'm always a sucker for when those stories are told and the actor playing the main character, like, makes me believe that that person exists mm -hmm. because I don't know a lot of those people in my life. And, <laughs> uh, I, and that's not even necessarily a bad thing because sometimes ignorance in that in this particular way, <clears throat> if things don't work out the way that, that they do in this film or like the uh, opposition, be they good or evil, is sm too smart for that like aw shucksy type person. Like a lot of times I feel like those people get swallowed up and this is one of those stories 
that uh, it doesn't happen that way. Uh, I know we're only a little bit in, but spoiler alert for the history of Tetris. Um, Nobody becomes a billionaire by being honest. Yeah, which is yeah, which is kind of so. Is that this is the thing I really wanted to ask you because I knew you'd be very knowledgeable about this. As far as the and I'm not talking about the micro beats and like even the added KGB agent, which who the hell knows, yada yada yada. But like overall, is this the is this the accepted story? Did they did they did they play up the niceties and the maliciousness of parties? Like what like how how air quotes accurate would you say this this telling is? It's cartoonied and exaggerated in places for the sake of drama. Mm -hmm. Uh, They are big holes in the story that we know uh, that they wrote an entire thing in those holes, which uh, I think was the right thing to do. They they cover the parts that are not publicly known with drama, with spy drama, which I think was the right was the right thing to do, especially because the context around it suggested. Um, but otherwise, yes. I mean, the the I think uh, the real life Hank uh, call it emotionally accurate, and I think that is a very good way of putting it. Mm. Um, because like everything that I have seen from the story, they are. Let me put an example. Sure. They they put uh, him in a more desperate position to for us to relate harder to the fact that he has no choice. So, so question on that, on that specific thing. Sorry to interrupt. Go. Did he put up his house over this thing and then lie to his wife about it? Do we know if that's true? We don't know if that's true. Okay. But what Be- we know is that he goes like, oh, I, I have to get this credit because I made this game go version of the game that didn't succeed and now I have like to risk it everything. By that point in the story, he had made go, not for the PC, but for the Famicom, and it had been a huge success. And he was already a decently established publisher oh. in Japan. So he wasn't like, this crappy, we're going to get the Nintendo license. They were already a Nintendo licensee at that point. Yo. So he wasn't So he wasn't like this complete, like, I, I understand why they did the change, because it's for an audience. It's to be like, oh, why is he going, like, toe-to-toe with the fucking KGB for this? It's like, well, you know, because he has everything on the line. That Like, that's the way you emotionally connect with it. But, like, the worst part is, like, real-life real, real life Hank was a guy that takes that kind of risks. Like, one of the quotes, literal quotes for him when retelling the story is that when he went, went to Elok for the first time on a tourist visa with absolutely no appointment and he goes and asks to talk to someone and they start yelling at him, he thinks, I, I'm either going to live here with Tetris or end up in a gulag. Like, that's his quote. Wow. And it's like, how, how do you encapsulate that personality to an audience? It's like you put him in a desperate possession. Yeah, I mean, yeah. How, well, yeah, how do you make that person... Not, not relatable. Em- yeah, re- yeah, relatable because... Well... Relatable in the sense of how we want to envision ourselves and our obsessions. Like, like mm-hmm. I think, I think being in a good position, like in real life, Hank, right? Being in a good position, being like an established publisher, and then still going so hard is still relatable because I found elements in my life where, like, I'm doing like great in one thing, but like I'm gonna keep pushing this thing because this is the thing like that I really want, and that is kind of a. It's a very human thing, but from a narrative perspective, it's also kind of selfish, and you can't like latch on to an outside perspective as easily because I think we mm-hmm. don't like identifying <laughs> those particular like quirks in our like human nature of those sort of things. Whereas, man, he he his game failed, and he's got to put up his house, and he's going to miss his daughter's recital. Like those those things like get you sort of involved in this like. Uh, in, in a more narrative drama that can let you, like, latch on cleaner and not, like, you can think about all the good aspects that you can relate to and not sort of any of the weird kind of, uh, like, interpersonal stuff. So I think it was a very good choice. I have a comment there. Okay, yeah. What will you say, and this is completely related to what you're saying, what will you say the central theme of the movie is? Mm. <laughs> Because I know exactly what it is after watching it like four times. <laughs> this is a strange thing, and I'm glad you brought it up. I don't know if I do know what the central theme is, which is weird because normally with something that I enjoy as hard as I did enjoy this, I do know the central theme. I think I can tell you why I don't know it. And that is basically it throws a lot of stuff at the wall. It even ha- – like, okay, first of all, 
it uh, is very complex and contract-driven. Second of all, tons of caricature- caricatures. Third, uh, banging soundtrack that, like, actually distracted me enough to, like, really want to think about, like, what songs I was listening to. Four, additional content that, like, I wasn't expecting this movie. Like, a pretty decent car chase at the end. <laughs> uh, so, like, I think I was distracted overall. What, after watching this movie so many times, did you find the central theme was? Keep your promises. And this is this is my evidence for this. All through the movie, Hank, people are constantly telling him, stop making promises that you can't keep. When mm. he goes and he tells his wife, like, I, I'm sorry, I bet the house, I have to do this. She tells him, stop making promises that you can't keep. And then he travels and he tells his daughter, oh, I'm going to be back for your recital. And and then he talks to Alexei and he's like, I'm going to make you a millionaire. I'm going to give you what is due. And, and he takes risks for him and then gets pissed off and tells him, you Americans, you keep making promises that you can't keep. Stop making promises that you can't keep. Like overall, constantly people in the movie are telling him this. And he doesn't keep he doesn't keep his promises. He misses the recital. He's almost close uh, to missing the house. And it's not just him. Like, the whole thing is a chain of promises that wasn't kept. Robert Stain, I've been calling him Otto because of a character this freaking actor did. Uh, the, I, the, I was going to say the, something. The guy like, that just yeah. stuck to me. Yep, you got it. You got it. We came no, back. He just, he's so good. Robert Stein made signed a contract for the PC rights to Tetris, and he sort of interpreted that liberally. And he was—he promised everyone he will get the arcade rights. And because of this promise, people—he started selling the rights left and right. But he did that because Maxwell had promised him that they will pay him like dues, and he will be able to send those to the to the to the Soviets and continue the chain. Mm-hmm. But Maxwell doesn't keep that promise, so Otto Otto. Robert Stein yep. cannot keep his promise to the Soviets. So then he stole money from pension funds, which is a thing that you like promise to employees that they're going to keep. Like everyone here is making money by not keeping their promises. And yeah. the plot resolves when he finally goes and actually does it. He actually like gives the, the e-log. He's like, okay, you know, here's five million dollars you're gonna get a dollar per cartridge nintendo is gonna get the rights like actually executing on promises and when they finally the movie like gets this big emotional resolution the two things that happen is that he gets back home and he like builds a stage for his daughter and he's like i'm back here to fulfill my promise and to listen to you sing and the scene immediately cuts to alexei receiving like the box with the with the game boy being like he's your big success and behind the box is stapled like the tickets for to get them out of the ussr He's delivering on his promise. So the whole theme of the thing is like, keep your promises. Everyone was making promises that they could not keep, and the plot gets resolved when he starts delivering on his promises. Keep your promises, and you too can use video games to destroy communism. That's the quote, everybody. Yeah, yeah. Have a good night. I mean, uh no that's a, I, I really like that read and it's funny you saying that now i'm like oh yeah everyone does keep telling him to stop promising shit uh but he does i mean he 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 you he identify him good. as a sort of a honest businessman in the sense that he keeps like he's the only one which in real life he was the only one that went to Alexei and was like, I'm going to get you out. I'm going to make you a millionaire. Like, you're actually going to, you know, grow from this thing you created. And, like, he he ended up winning because he was the only one that actually was honest. Was there. kept his promises. And here's the interesting thing, too. Mm-hmm. When I say honest businessman, the thing I got from the, both the way the character Hank has played in this film and just from what you've told me about the story, he seems like a guy that like is never lying maliciously or promising maliciously. He is overly optimistic and possibly misinformed, but he's like, yeah, 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 no, I'm gonna do this. Like he's not he's not making excuses. He foolishly or not believes what he is saying. And that that's where the I think the honesty kind of comes from, right? Like it's not like the other people or the other characters in this story that are saying one thing and actively meaning to do the other, stealing pension plans, having contracts that don't fully make sense. Like, you know what I mean? No one becomes a billionaire by being honest. That's that quote in the movie is not an accident. Yeah. That is part of the theme. Yeah. It's very, <laughs> very interesting. And so so the other thing I think this movie does 
very well. And this, so we've kind of gone over like the history part of it a little bit. The dramatization mm-hmm. of making this story, and I gotta, I gotta give props to um, both the writer uh, Noah Pink, I believe, uh, wrote this film, and then uh, John S. Uh, Bard Baird. Uh, who has done, uh, back in the day, Filth in 2013 and Stan and Ollie in 2018. Um, the way that this story is kind of added to and, like, moved, elevated, I would say, even beyond what the real-world events were. Because the real-world events are fascinating. But the way that it, it sort of, um, it does it in a couple different ways. One is the whole KGB plot. Uh, which, I mean, <laughs> how we don't really know how accurate... Like I know Russia was definitely because was watching him and what so was going things. on. Yeah. So two things: the the the, the whole thing is born from a, two anecdotes, I guess, or two pieces of information. The first is that Maxwell Senior was one hundred percent friends with Gorbachev. Like that's a, that's a historical fact. Okay. And when things went south in the negotiation, he called up Gorbachev, the fucking leader of the USSR, and asked for his help to get the Tetris right. This is a thing that happened. It's amazing. And so we don't know, like Gorbachev apparently like was in the midst of like the country falling apart, so he probably ignored him. But we don't know. Like we know that there he had connections with top Soviet leadership. And the other is that Kevin Maxwell, his son, the real-life Kevin Maxwell, uh, read the script. Like, the director mm-hmm. passed the script through him. And apparently his two points on the on the script were, one, that he wasn't hard, that the script isn't hard enough on his father, that his father in real life was worse, mm-hmm. which is oof. Yeah. And second, that the whole KGB thing was, in his words, way scarier. Well, so, yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Like, so the, um, the yeah, the actor who plays the main KGB agent, I got to find him. He was so good and, like, kind of menacing, but, like, it was strange. He was menacing. I think this, is this movie rated R? <laughs> I couldn't, yeah, it is. This film know. is rated R. I don't know why. <laughs> like, I, I saw that when it came up in a certain thing. I was like, really? Because Because I will say the KGB agent and the KGB stuff, in this film and the way it's presented in the script is very PG-13. Like, like there's a part where he's threatening Alexi's family and it's scary. Like he's like, they're on like a, a, a bridge over a street and they're like doing like gravity experiments while the KGB is like clearing out mm-hmm. his apartment. He's like, this is how th- the speed of things falling. Could be a chair, could be a boy. And it's like, oh God, yeah. no. Right? But the, 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 I could see how in a real life situation especially when you're going this is all about video game rights like you're going mm-hmm. in there and like the KGB I felt like the KGB in this movie gave them a lot of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and I feel like the KGB in real life would just be like start breaking fucking bones like and again this is I my think un- uneducated guess my guess, and I, I think the movie sort of threaded this line very carefully, is that this wasn't like the KGB and the country against them. This was the, what makes what they identified that I hadn't when I was reading the story. I had not identified this, but what they identified it during the movie is that the, one of the most interesting bits about the, the, the story of Tetris is that it's happening as the Soviet Union is about to collapse. Yep. Like it's... The, one of the things that happened while the Soviet Union was collapsing was that everyone was trying to get out uh, something out of it before the whole thing fell apart. Mm-hmm. So under that context... It's the biggest NFT grift. Yeah, it's, it's this guy desperately trying to get like the rights or, or something of money out of this before the whole system falls apart. And he says it. He's saying, communist is dying. I'm just trying to get the, be- the best deal. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because some of the characters around him, like... The the what I kinda liked about that plot is that it didn't it didn't make the Soviets like the enemies in general. It was like this guy who was trying to get the best. And then there was the, the woman that was like the agent. Sasha. And Sasha. And and the the director of Elog, yep. which were both like genuinely trying to do the right thing for their country and they realized that at the end. Yeah, there, there's a quote from the Elog uh, president or whatever where uh, I think it was from him, but they mentioned, and I, I've actually said this in the past, like communism, the concept of communism probably would work if people weren't humans. 
Like, like the, the human, <laughs> human, human emotion and the way that we are as the animals that we've evolved into being makes communism impossible because n not everyone will abide by the same rule like in that thing so inevitably it fails it's not that the concept yeah. is bad well it's bad if you if you're like if you're applying it to human beings so like someone says something along gorbachev. those lines you're, gorbachev you're thinking you're thinking of gorbachev that he goes uh communism was never meant to restrict freedom but unfortunately human greed got in the way there we go that's, that's, the, that's quote. the quote he gets yeah which is but, very but good. the the law guy and sasha who is an agent of the kgb like, they believe in the cause. They think that what they are doing, even though they are utilizing the tools sort of of oppression, is is the overall greater good. And that is super mm -hmm. interesting. I really loved that because if it was just Russia bad, it would have been boring. Like, uh, mm -hmm. and, it, and, it, and it shows, again, this movie does a really good job. Even though it's heightened and and overall a little bit, some might even say cartoony in certain spots, it makes the emotional resonance of a a small moment in a giant geopolitical sort of quagmire really human. Like it makes like the whole mm -hmm. story like I I think honestly, the story of focusing down on Tetris and using it as this this like jumping in point, this crack this crack in the wall, so to speak, um, is a very interesting way to look at the conflict as a whole. Like, and look, Tetris didn't collapse the Soviet Union, but like it's one <laughs> it's one tiny thing in a sea of different things that then mm -hmm. were, were, were basically chipping away at the structure and how it could stay, you know, whole. The wall was crumbling, and Tetris was just one of the first bricks to be removed. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Yeah, that, that's, that's, it's all coming together, man. I feel like we need to be much higher <laughs> if we're going to start putting those, those analogies together. Um, let's talk real quick mm -hmm. about this fucking movie soundtrack. <laughs> Oh, God. I have been listening to this soundtrack over and over again. Same. Same. Well, so, working, again, it's I, this is what I want to say. This is why I want to I want to give it, like, crazy, crazy props. I went and saw John Wick. John Wick has a lot of sort of, like, cool banger, almost, like, clubby songs in it. And there's, like, a ton. Like, it's real energetic. And, like, normally after a John mm -hmm. Wick movie, I listen to the, to, the, to the John Wick soundtrack just for a while. I got off, and on the subway, I just started listening to the Tetris soundtrack again. <laughs> Uh, this is like it's it's remixes of songs. Check it out on Spotify or wherever you try to get your music from. Uh, it's like it's all like pop songs, but in different either remixes languages, uh, but or different languages. Like I, what was I listening to? And there's some that like use the Tetris song, like the different themes. Not like, just some. The the Tetris. Let me look at the name of that yeah. because that, that's actually like a Soviet song, Korobenki, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. the 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 original Soviet song that inspired the Tetris V, I think theme, which is the one that yeah. we all know yeah. on the Game Boy. Do, 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 there's do, like do. six. There's like six remixes of the song in the soundtrack. And they're all, like, I didn't know this melody could be so flexible. There's, like, a hype one. There's, like, a sadder one. There's, like, a emotional one at the end when the plot is being resolved. And then there's this one fucking scene where they're running through the airport and the KGB is chasing them that they start sounding the original, like, sing by the, the Soviet chorus. And I was just, like, feeling chills. Like, how is this movie, like... I, they really cared. They were really going for it. That's yeah, and that so I think that was going to sort of lead me into that. Is this is a film, and maybe maybe in today's day and age, because I I would argue Tetris isn't the hottest property right now. It's still ubiquitous, <laughs> but it's not like yeah. no, kids aren't getting hyped for Tetris. Like uh, although I did yeah. I did come very close before I had to return my PSVR two. Uh, fucking controllers weren't working, and I'm still waiting on my replacement PlayStation. I don't know where that is. Uh, I was going to check out Tetris Effect in VR because I heard very good things. Oh, it's so good. Uh, it's very good. I want to try it out. Um, but no, I would say uh, the way that the the music elevates basically the drama of this story, uh, and and in a way like. Every time a track came on in this thing, I got that 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 
small dopamine hit of not I understood that reference, but like, oh, I know this tune. And then but it surprises you. The, mm-hmm. the best possible thing I feel like I, I think this is true in any medium is if you can make your audience both recognize the thing you are doing and be surprised by the thing you are doing in a pleasant way, you have nailed uh, retention. Like, because they're yeah. being rewarded in their brain for, like, feeling smart and remembering a thing. And, oh, my God, this is something I've never heard. But, like, it's the same thing. So, like, the, mm-hmm. I don't know. This soundtrack, uh, I, I, I cannot get over. Also, you know what's weird? I didn't expect based on – and I, knowing the story and even seeing the trailer, I didn't expect uh, that the friendship between uh, Alexi and – uh, and Hank would be like actually as moving as it was. I don't know if it was in real life, but like it seems like, especially at the after the end credits, uh, it feels like they just like became like bros, <laughs> which is kind of nice. They one uh, one of the things that I was interested in seeing is how they were going to display that because in real life, sort of the friendship between these two men was the element that catalyzed the entire thing moving forward, mm-hmm. and like to. To this day, they both like run the Tetris company, and they're all like they, they, they. This was a central relationship in the plot, so I was like, okay, you know, the actors are gonna have to have some real chemistry for this yeah. to work. And I like like how close the guy that plays Alexei is like at the start, and it's all of this. And there's this one moment. I was I was watching the movie like uh, I, I I am the kind of nerd that I went and watched the one. Uh, time that they show it in a cinema with like six other people who were really into it it was great that's great <laughs> I, I have questions about that afterward okay and and there's this moment when when hank has this energy of like a real fan that that he gets shown like the original version of tetris and they start playing for it and he goes like oh what if you do this or this tweak and they like change something and they like like coding together and they start laughing and my girlfriend just like leaned to me and said something like they're bros for life i have seen you do this with people like, yeah, they, yeah, they're yeah. connected forever <laughs> they just became bros <laughs> that scene was super fun i i, I don't know is that true did, did, did they work like on the multiple line thing or is that just something that they just came up with on uh, this unclear i'm i'm still researching it because it's like this has got to be made up this is like a scene just to like sell their friendship yeah but apparently hank's family conversion of tetris was the first one to have multi-line clearing it's a thing that apparently someone in his team came up with so they sort of work that into the plot yeah. into like a fun way I, I honestly i think it's a cool story either way either they had this bro down moment and that's real or they t- for this script they took a moment in history that Famicom uh, cartridge being the first one and retrofitted it to be that and that just seems like a nice mm-hmm. a nice sort of thing. Uh, going to the theater to see let's talk about let's talk about going to to the theater to see especially streaming <laughs> movies because I don't think there's anything um, a, a filmmaker that is going to send their film to streaming would flatter them more than like, oh, you have this at home, but you're going to go to this spot to go see it. Uh, I I looked, I, I didn't see, um, I on initial viewing, I didn't even see anything in New York. I didn't see any like actual screening. Uh, screen, And I'm sure it existed somewhere. People can email us in onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com and tell me I'm wrong. Um, but uh, how, was, how was the movie going experience where you were? Like, did you... You said there was like six people in the theater. Like, was it just not full at all? Yeah. So there was like one show in the whole city. And uh, okay. So important disclaimer here. I'm the kind of weird guy that doesn't quite enjoy going to the movies. Like if I have an option, I usually watch it in person. Because I can pause. I can go to the bathroom. I can get snacks. I don't have to deal with this guy talking to someone else two lines from me. Someone Uh who didn't turn their phone off. Like I'm not like a super big fan of the cinema experience. However... For this movie, when I saw there was like one chance, I'm like, okay, this is actually a movie that I'm really look was really looking forward to. I will, uh, and I checked, and there was like the 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 room was completely empty, and I'm like, okay, if I'm gonna get a chance to like watch it on the big screen by my own, I'm just going to go and get it. Um, what actually happened is that there was like six people in there, but clearly, since this is such a, a freaking niche movie, 
um, one thing that irritates the heck out of me in watching movies in the UK, I don't know if this is like a northern UK thing, but people don't react to movies here. Huh. Like something funny will be happening and I will be laughing and my girlfriend will be laughing. We'll be the only people in the room laughing and people weird. will be staring at us. It's very weird. But like on this movie, like surprised me is that people were reacting. People were laughing. People were cheering. Like the the six the six of us that were in the room were clearly like very much into this. Like we bought the ticket because we wanted to see this this day now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and so that was like the best crowd to watch that. That's lovely. I went to and listeners of the show will know the the episode last week we did Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves, and I went with my D and D party, and we were like ready to get rowdy. <laughs> It was like this fan event. I use that air quotes very lightly. And like, it was like maybe like a quarter full and like no one was laughing or whatever. And we're like, this is fun. Like, why aren't, why is everyone not having fun? <laughs> well, I could answer why a couple of different reasons, but that's a different episode. I, I, that's my favorite kind of movie going experience when there's a communal emotional through point, either laughter or terror or uh, sadness, you know, or, you know, a happiness catharsis. Uh, that's literally. The chance of that happening at in this day and age, in my opinion, is one of the only reasons to go to the cinema is the is the actual human connection you can get with other audience members. Granted, the way it is uh, monetized and understaffed and uh, homogenous uh, across many places uh, poisons that and makes it harder to get. I've talked about it at great length on this show. But that's what I think that's what myself and a ton of other people like are looking for. And want when they go to the movies, and uh, now it's just become a real, a real, uh, just <laughs> um, it almost feels like a mythical quest at certain points to try to like actually pull off. But it's nice that like, especially for this film, you were able to kind of get that with you were you were amongst you were amongst your 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 brethren. You were you were all all in uh, all for this Tetris movie. I I I. Like it was very dark. No one was seeing each other's faces, but me and my girlfriend have a, a running bet that she thinks there was at least one or two people there in that room that were fans of my channel. Like it's like this oh. is the, it's gotta be it's like the audience. A thousand percent. <laughs> if you're Alex, if you're going to the movies to go watch the 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 Apple Tetris movie, they've watched all your shit. <laughs> like there's no yeah. question. There's no question. Um. Um. I would say, like, bef- the seeing what parts of the movie the audience reacted to and were tense and where, where people were, like, silent, all, like, paying attention, it was a very good um, way of measuring that they actually got their engagement right. Yeah. It, and it was seeing... I, I keep mentioning my girlfriend, but because she's, like, this is... She's clearly not the demographic for this kind of yeah. movie because she's not usually into this kind of story. So observing her and observing how she reacts was a very good way of me noticing, okay, what does this movie do well for, like, a general audience? And, like, when when there's the whole race between the, all the three parties to be the first one to sign the contract and all the negotiations, and she was at the border of her seat. She was just, like, pressing the, the sides of the seat so hard. It's like, it works. It's it's making you, you... You're invested. You're invested in what's happening. The... Um, and the performances sell it to you. I will add, because I, w- I wanted to add this early in the podcast, I completely missed. My favorite scene, which it's... Uh, there, there's some elements of that scene that I don't like, but overall, emotionally, one of my favorite scenes is when he goes to Seattle to Nintendo of America and gets shown the Game Boy for the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and when when they go like here and and they remove like the cover and he just stares at the Game Boy, we just see his face and he looks at the Game Boy. I remember my girlfriend said something like, you know, find you find yourself someone that looks at you like Hank is looking at that Game Boy because like wow that face. It's like the most beautiful thing he had ever seen in his life. I mean, for 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 those people, and I mean, honestly, for me as a child, like the Game Boy mm-hmm. itself was magic. Like mm-hmm. the the fact, like we, I think, to in today's day and age, even people, myself included, that were alive back then, and 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 now, obviously, we have supercomputers in our pockets that have like twelve hour battery life and like whatever, like. You don't think about how absolutely bonkers it is that that thing existed, ran on so little power, could do all the things it did. And, like, 
I guarantee you, I, it's funny, if I had time, I was going to do this. I was going to dig through my console uh, box of all my old consoles and, like, have the Game Boy here with me. Like, I have one, and I guarantee you, if I had AA batteries, it would turn on. And I can't say that yeah. for, uh, God, 90% of the electronics that I buy. Like, it is a, it is a <laughs> phenomenal piece of hardware that felt like it like at the time it should not be able to exist and it's weird to think about that mm -hmm. now considering we have magic rectangles like it's it's mm -hmm. the phones have sort of poisoned my mind around that so seeing that piece of technology especially from a developer standpoint and and, and a business mm -hmm. person's of like oh i have something that i could sell with this because mm -hmm. tetris is the perfect game boy game like Game Boy did a lot of good stuff, and the side-scrollers are fun and whatever, but there's limitations, and we've all sort of seen it and played it and whatever. Tetris being on one screen and just being this one thing and like ha like and doing something so specific so well is perfect. It was the mm -hmm. it was the perfect thing to package with it, and I, I could... I was thinking about this when I was watching the movie because there's the debate when he goes to Nintendo, like, oh, they're going to package it with Mario, and and Hank goes like, yeah, if you want to sell this to like, you know, uh, you know, a, a couple hundred thousand kids, yeah, package it with Mario. You want this to be like, everyone wants this thing, package it with Tetris. And I was just thinking of like, what, how would, <laughs> how would the landscape of video games, handheld or no, have changed if they marketed it? with Mario and not Tetris. I would posit that it would not have been as huge of a success as it was because... No, and and to his credit, that quote is real. That was 100% his really? idea. Like he sold Nintendo, Nintendo was going to package it with Mario and he was the one, uh, he was friends with Yamauchi, he was like influential inside Nintendo that made the case to Minoru Arakawa of Nintendo of America. Like that, that, that... Um, that quote, like, if you want to sell it to a couple hundred kids, but you want to sell it to everyone, package with Tetris. That's an actual, like, quote from him. Yeah. It's, in, like, in every documentary. And one, that is very smart from him to make that observation very prescient. Because, mm -hmm. as you say, it's, like, obvious from the get-go that it's, like, the perfect Game Boy game. And also very shows his own vision as a salesman that he was able to get Nintendo so interested that they would be like, okay, you know, go to the Soviet Union and get us the rights for this because we are, we are, I mean, getting Nintendo to change their mind about which game to package with a console is a big fucking deal. Also, one that they don't own, like one that they, like is not an yeah. in-house thing. And also, mm -hmm. side note, remember when, when consoles came with games? That was nice. That was a nice <laughs> time. That was real good. It was. It was a good, I, I, God, what was, because okay, hold on. Let's 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 take a trip down memory lane. So the Game Boy obviously came with Tetris. N the NES mm. came with Mario or Mario, Mario. Duck Hunt if you got the Duck light Hunt. gun. Super Nintendo mm. didn't come with a game. A game with Super Mario World. If I did it correctly? Okay. I yeah, no, it sure. did. It did because then Link to the Past came out later, so it came with Super Mario World. Genesis came with Sonic, I believe. Sonic One. Yes. That's how they got it to sell. Um, but then N64 didn't come with Mario 64. And then I That's think that they, was kind they, of the games, end. Game too expensive. Yeah. Well, uh, they did an exception when they needed to invoke that feeling of selling it to everybody with the Wii, which came packed up with Wii Sports. Wii Sports. Was You're the... right. You're right. Mm -hmm. uh, was that? I guess that was the last one because Wii U didn't come with anything. Yep. Switch didn't come with anything. Um, PlayStation. No, no, you came with Nintendo Land. I think it? no, or maybe not. I don't I, know. I, I might be misremembering that. Don't quote me on that. No, yeah. because I don't have Nintendo Land. So at some point it, it didn't. They they recognize at some point that they could like sell the console cheaper without the game and then sell a bundle without the game. If you walk into any game store, like the first Switch you see, it's always like packaged with Mario Kart or something. Yep. Um, but now it's like not the default option before. Like, when the video game marketplace wasn't as established as it is today and you didn't have a core audience base that was going to buy the console with no games, you needed to package something, and that will set the tone of what this console was for. There's also there's also the argument, too, of uh, when, when video games were more marketed and more meant for children, uh, mm -hmm. having a simple thing that a parent can buy and not be like, okay, I need this and I need this. Like, it's just like, here's the one thing mm -hmm. where now we're all old. Uh, 
and like <laughs> we understand like yes i'm gonna buy the switch and then i will buy you know whatever the heck the thing is um so but but I wonder, too, actually, you've probably done a decent amount of research on this, and I know now we're just getting into gaming history, but I feel like if they're at minute, if they're at the 53-minute mark of this podcast, I feel like that's why the folks are here. You can email us, and again, onlymoviepodcast.gmail.com and let me know if I'm wrong. Um, do we think that the proliferation of Tetris on the Game Boy was sort of one of the larger stepping stones in getting gaming to be accepted more from an adult audience? Yes, yes, one hundred percent. Yes, like this, the the Game Boy. One of the reasons why Nintendo r has remained such a powerhouse in handheld gaming is because the Game Boy was their first console that, like the the, the NES, had a wide demographic, mm -hmm. much wider than what we'll think of some games nowadays. But the Game Boy was like something else. Like yeah. the Game Boy was being played by everyone it was like a it was a white demographic success and it was like at, at, a, at that point that nintendo started noticing like oh there's 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 a market to explore here and something and i know this is general video game history but at that time yamauchi had divided the company into a series of different teams which all work not only not in isolation but they were all rivals in the sure. sense that each one was its own like micro company and they were like fighting for yamauchi's love all the time R&D 2, I think, was the one making the Famicom, the Super Famicom, Nintendo 64, etc. And R&D 1 was the one making the Game Boy. Mm -hmm. And you can see that R&D 2 products were like going deeper and deeper into the traditional Nintendo demographic. Well, R&D 1 has like the Game Boy and the, the Game Boy Pocket. And then the Nintendo DS, who also had, you know, the Game Boy Advance. And then the Nintendo DS, who also had like a very wide demographic, like somewhere along this line of packaging in Tetris and realizing the effect of that, something click in the mind of this team that they could be aiming for a, a much wider demographic, which once uh, Nintendo Satoru Iwata came in and decided, you know, let's stop this company infighting and just like unify all the teams, right. it became like the dominant philosophy for Nintendo, which is very interesting. But that was like, you could track all of that decision making back to that moment when Tetris began selling. It's so interesting too, because like, even if you look at, I, I know the proliferation of the NES was, I mean, it, it's funny because up until very recently, I would say, in America, Video games was synonymously was synonymous with people that didn't like use them was like, oh, we're going to go play Nintendo. Like no matter what, the, it was like yeah. Coke is soda or like any of that stuff. Like Band-Aids is, is a brand even though it's just an adhesive bandage. Like it's Nintendo was video games. To, to I would even argue maybe even till like five or ten years ago, like despite the proliferation of Xbox and PlayStation and like all that stuff. Um, and I think the back then the interesting thing to me is, well – if you even if you had Nintendo, it's still something that takes how do I put this? A little bit more effort to engage with than say the Game Boy. Because you have to take the Nintendo, you have to you, you know, there's only one TV in the house, so you only get that. You have to rip apart the back and plug in the things and maybe even do some screw stuff, depending if you're using an RF switch or not. And then like like it wasn't as simple as just like plug and play an HDMI and a power cord and you're going. So like and that so but a Game Boy any adult with any with 15 minutes in their office could just be like i'm going to play a couple rounds of tetris and like it's the the ease of it i think helped proliferate too like that it's okay for like adults to like enjoy this stuff and now of course the kids that grew up with everything they don't give a shit because they're like yeah this is what this is our stuff you can track the fact uh, and again this is very gotcha going the weeds but i think it's very interesting you can track how we still think of a console as a more uh, complicated device that you have to set up, that you have to have a, a TV and a sound system and, you know, to have the proper experience that you sit down to play mm -hmm. versus the more modern example I can think, the Steam Deck. The Steam Deck is a device that plays full console complete games, but what is one of the things that has to distinguish a Steam Deck or a Nintendo Switch for a regular console? That it has this button on top where you can play 20 minutes and then you can pause it and you can, you can put it down. Yep. Like the concept of a handheld is something that you can pick up, play something quickly and put it down. And this all starts like from this decision of Tetris. Like the, the, the Game Boy ended up being sort of the genesis of what it means to play something handheld. What's the philosophy behind of it? Um... 
and if they if, if Hank Rogers hadn't had that impulsive moment of selling to Nintendo they should impact the game with Tetris that might have never happened yeah so yes I'm saying that Hank Rogers is responsible for us getting a Steam Deck nowadays I mean <laughs> but you, I know that you, that's a long way to get there but you're not wrong and I think that the it, this is I, I guess we'll have to wrap up pretty soon but the the way that I would position this particular film if we're gonna swing back to it is mm. if you are a it's funny. Sometimes people listen to the show, Alex, and they haven't quite watched the movie yet. Uh, I'd say maybe it's 20% of our listeners that we hear from. Most people have. But I will say for those remaining 20%, if, if, if you've ever, like, I'll even say this. If you've ever played Tetris, you now have the runway in a weird way to go experience a very well-told human story about not only the origins of that game that you might remember, but also kind of the origins of an entire genre of gaming. And told in a... What I love about this movie is that it, it takes something as deep and as nerdy as we've sort of gone uh, in this conversation, Alex, but it makes it palatable for everyone who might not be that interested in the history because at the end of the day it's the story of people uh it's the story of mm -hmm. people believing in a thing uh for various reasons some people believed in it because they thought it was uh you know greed based other people it was a mix some people it was altruistic like it doesn't really matter like the point is human beings are behind every piece of technology and wonderment and pain and suffering and and happiness and joy that we experience and i think oftentimes in the in the commercialization of media and entertainment we do forget that and it's really lovely to see something as ubiquitous that just feels like it's always existed like tetris was just always here well no it fucking wasn't like it was mm -hmm. made and brought to us and all of this stuff so i don't know i think this film does a a, a remarkable service to remind us that our entertainment is not just a a given and it takes a lot of hard work and risk and danger to get it in front of us, depending on what that is. I think that's my sort of final thought about this movie. I think everyone should go watch it. Alex, why don't you take us home and tell us what what the, the end thoughts of Tetris, the Apple film, is for you? If, if you had told me that I will be at the edge of my seat watching... Uh, car chasing scene where a car driven by Alexei Pajinov with on the back uh, um, the vice president and president of Nintendo of America <laughs> holding toward their life while they're being chased by the fucking KGB I will have called you a liar but it's like that that was not on my bingo card for this movie and it ruled yeah and and I'll even say this: the graph. Like I, when I saw the graphics in the trailer, I was like, "Oh, okay, like whatever, haha." The alternate Tetris blocks, <laughs> but like the way they use it in this movie, it feels very sparing, and like it only really kicks in like hard when they're in the chase scene. And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, 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 yeah." It was very good. They're being chased. You you're listening to "I Need a Hero" in fucking Russian. Yep. And and you have this four legends of video game history <laughs> being chased by the KGB. It's just. I have rewatched that scene over and over again. It's just so good. It's perfect. It's perfect. I really love this movie. I hope you all did too. Uh, this has been the only podcast about the film Tetris. Alex, when you are not <laughs> here uh, uh, gracing me with your presence and knowledge, where can folks find you across the internet? You can find me in the Los Gamer YouTube channel. You can watch the videos that I did about the story of the Game Boy that explain and the story of the Famicom that explain a lot of the background of what happened right before this movie. Yeah. And you can watch the video that I am working right now on the IBM PC, which is going to explain a lot of the whole PC versus console right thing that yep. was so important for the movie. Uh, yes, please, everyone, go check out all of Alex's stuff. It is absolutely fascinating. I've learned so much from your channel. It is ridiculous. And, like, I, it's funny. I'm starting to, like, now that I've watched enough of your videos, I'm starting to recognize players, like, like people in the industry, like, coming back that just names that, like, I haven't, like, latched onto before. So it's very nice. Um... Yeah, you can also, everybody, uh, you can find me. Where can you find me? All my places. Uh, com. My life and work. Skeletor, the number four. Pierre on Instagram. Or PSN if you want to play video games with me. And, of course, Emperor MSK on Twitter. Also, uh, please check out the good works we are doing over at Extra Credits. Actually, today... 
I'm not even going to talk about what we're doing specifically, uh, although our Tarkov episode I'm very, very proud of. Uh, go look for our April Fool short. And it's really good. Go look for the second and a companion piece in the description <laughs> of that April Fool short. I worked I worked harder on that than I should have. Um, Alex, this is really interesting. So you so this episode in this trilogy this of, of the podcast is The Empire Strikes Back. So last week was Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. This week is Tetris. Next week is Mario. We're doing a triple video game movie. Oh, wow. Across three very different takes, or gaming, I should say, not video games, but like three very different takes of gaming in cinema. Uh, so so thank you so much for, for being here and, and chatting through this with me. I really, really appreciate it. Just just like Hank, I'm going to vote Tetris over Mario this time. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see how it shakes out. We'll see. Everybody, have a wonderful week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>